Hello, hello, hello. Here we are, man. We're doing it. Podcast number one. Let's go. How you doing? Let's figure this out. How does this all work? This is podcast numero uno, possibly of three, because I didn't really want to do a podcast. I'm going to be honest with you. This is something I've been talking about with uh, my agent and a few friends of mine um, for a few months now. I love podcasts. You know, I listen to them all the time in the car and things like that. But I've never really felt like I want to be just another douche, adding another douchey podcast to the ever-growing mountain of douchey podcasts that are popping up in the world. I don't know anyone that hasn't got a fucking podcast. I didn't really see why I wanted to add any more to the pile. But I've been having to think about it, and um, I think it could be an awesome way If it's not about me and me talking shit, it could be a platform to get some people on who've got super interesting stories and perspectives to share, whether they're from the music space or activism or books or from different strata of society that that we don't know about. You know, like it could be an asylum seeker or a homeless person or, um, you know, just somebody from a total different walk of life to, to what most of us are aware of and to give them a platform to tell their story and to have the conversation and to um, to get a deeper understanding of these things. I think that could just be super fucking interesting. So on those grounds, I said, okay, yeah, well, let's do it and let's see what happens. <laughs> so please do subscribe. Please do like the videos and share them um, and subscribe and leave comments as well to let me know who you'd want me to speak to. If there's anybody in particular you want to have on, tag them. But it's going to be super low rent production value there's no production value on this and there's no video (laughs) i'm not going to have elon musk on smoking weed or anything like that it's going to be just me talking and uh, you know what i I don't think that's a bad thing to be fair you know you don't need to see me just talking there's no fucking point i don't need to be setting up cameras and lights and editing video for hours just so you can listen to me talking to someone so this is a nice opportunity to step away from the screen, just be soothed by the dulcet tones of my chavy Newport accent and just turn, turn the screen off and just listen to my voice as I ramble about bollocks. Speaking of which, I just read an article today about Prince Andrew the nonce, you know, the pedo prince. <laughs> Shouldn't laugh, it's fucking disgraceful. What a prick. But um, he, as bizarre as that is, even weirder is the fact that he's got 72 teddy bears that he, uh, that he's really obsessed about and they have to be arranged in a very particular order in his bedroom or something uh and his maid um his, his ex-maid i should say uh said that she had to have a full day's training to arrange these fucking things and he's got like a uh, he's got like a card printed up with a with a visual demonstration of how he likes them to be arranged and if you get it wrong he fucking screams and shouts <laughs> and he's got some of these teddy bears dressed up in sailors outfits and stuff how fucking weird is that man you know i mean we should know this shit because then we, we would have known ages ago okay that guy's a pedophile let, let's let's stop him before he can do some damage you know for fuck's sake which grown man has 70 which grown man has one teddy bear for fuck's sake But anyway, I digress. I wanted to tell you guys about some things I've been up to lately because I've been doing some super cool shit behind the scenes. Um, I don't know if you saw the the Kill the Bill demonstrations that have been happening lately outside Parliament. Uh, I did one with Extinction Rebellion uh, who who were also teaming up with the Kill the Bill campaigners. And um, I got to play two of my songs off the new album, Make Anger Great Again, after Jeremy Corbyn did his speech. So me and Alec, the drummer from uh, The Underdogs, went down on the morning 
And uh, it was fucking awesome, man. But uh, if the conspiracy theorist in me could not help but um, rear its head because they closed, like, the, the two junctions to the off the M4 into London, they closed them down. And then as soon as we got into London, we parked up by the Piccadilly line, which took fucking ages because, you know, they closed the access. And the a whole Piccadilly line tube was closed down. So we, we just literally couldn't get there. And I was absolutely convinced that Boris Johnson was doing it personally to stop me getting there and overthrowing the government with my songs about revolution and rising up. But um, I realized that it was just maintenance works, you know. But get there we did, and uh, there was fucking loads of people there, which is always great to see for something like that. Uh, really well-organized campaign, man. Uh, those guys work super hard. And Marvina, the, um, you know, one of the main spokespeople and organizers involved with the Kill the Bill campaign, just an absolute fucking, well, man, like what a powerhouse. It's on the mic all day, you know, laying it down and then introducing you know, the other speakers. Jeremy Corbyn was there. Paul Mason, who I love, was there. Mark Thomas was there. You know, fucking loads of heavy hitters. Great turnout. Uh, great vibe as well. You know, there's, there was no douchebags. You always get the douchebags at these protests. You always get that small contingent who were just there to kick off with the cops. And you always wonder whether they're, like, planted there on, for that very purpose or they can ransack the thing and the police can close the whole fucking thing down. Again, you know, I don't know if that's a conspiracy theorist in me because I have seen that happen at previous demos. But at the same time, you know, there are just fucking wankers in society as well, you know, who, who would do that. So there was none of that going on. But you always get the fringe groups. That's what I think is fascinating of these things. You always get the main turnout who, who are all organized around one protest, you know, and they march from one point to the other as one kind of mass of, of people, you know. But then you always get the, um, the contrarians, you know, who, who don't really want to be part of the, the, the main movement, but they still want to be there as well, you know, to tr try and get a little bit of the shine, you know what I mean? So you've got the main group laying it down. they got their PA system and they're fucking, you know, giving it large, you know, ranting and this, this and fucking, you know, giving it some, which, which I love. And then around the outskirts of the main crowd, you've got all the other groups. So you have like the, the left-wing communist fucking workers, anarchists, group and there's about five of them but they've got their little PA system and they're fucking ranting and raving through a megaphone or whatever but then just across from them you've got the performance artists you know who dress up in you know ridiculous fucking caricature kind of outfits uh, who seem to think that we can overthrow the government through the medium of silent dance you know I don't really know what the fuck they're for really other than to attract attention for themselves and how, how quirky and kooky they are um, and then you've got the punk rockers and, and, and you've got the other guys then you know who, who like the fucking who, who've blatantly turned up because they just want to kick off so you've got these kind of fringe it's like a festival you've got all these kind of boutique <laughs> groups who've only got like five members and they're all screaming through megaphones at the same time um, so that was happening. Of course, you always get the fucking samba drummers as well, the relentless samba drumming. They were all there. But it was a good vibe. Yeah, it's like a festival. And um, the main crowd was yeah, fucking all, all condensed together right outside um, by Big Ben. It was fucking brilliant. Uh, gorgeous day. We managed to make it in just in time, even though it took us like six hours to get there. Despite Boris trying to hold us back, we got there. And um, yeah, managed to play two of my songs. I played um, The Power acoustically, you know, through a little, uh, you know, like one speaker PA thing. And I played uh, Autopsy as well. Yeah, it was fucking cool, man. People were dancing and singing along. And, you know, it's nice to, uh, it's nice to, like, there's me slagging off the, the performance artists. And <laughs> there's me thinking I'm overthrowing the government through the medium of acoustic rock with my guitar. But it was nice to, uh, you know, to, to sort of stand and be counted and sing some songs. Fucking cool. 
But that campaign is still very much going on. The Kill the Bill campaign uh, is, is a good campaign because it's really important, man. If you don't know about it, basically the new police and courts bill that they're trying to push through uh, is, is effectively making protest uh, a criminal act which is fucking just mental. You know what I mean? It's like all of the gains that we've got as a society came from protest, you know, union rights, the right for, for women to vote. You know, these, these weren't easily won rights at all. They were, they were hard won through struggle and sacrifice and people lost their lives. And, you know, it's, it's the power of a mass movement of people saying no fucking way. And that's the only way shit ever gets done. The, the the rich and powerful don't wake up one morning in a good mood and decide to just, you know, fucking, you know, give us <laughs> what we want. It doesn't work like that. You know, it, there's, we're always having to fight for our rights. Even when you get them, you've got to, you've got to fight to keep them because they're always going to find ways to take them back. And that's exactly what they're doing now with Kill the Bill. They're trying to remove the very act of protest from you as a, as a tool for change. And it's real. They're doing it. They're doing it. It was it, it it was voted through the Commons. It was a lot of it was turned down in the Lords, so it's been sent back for amendments. But it's going to go through. And two of the things that they said could be used to shut down a protest would be if it was annoying or too noisy. And the whole fucking point of a protest is to be annoying. You know, it's to force power to fucking listen to you when they won't by any other means. They won't listen to you if you ask them nicely. It doesn't fucking happen. So Kill the Bill set up um, another co- a protest like two days later on the Monday when it was being reread in the Lords called the Really Annoying Demo where they asked everyone to turn up and just be annoying as fuck, like bring pans and be noisy and, you know, just any, any the weirder, the more annoying and noisy or the better, which was, I didn't make it to that one, but that, that looked like a lot of fun. So, so they're doing a lot of good uh, work, you know, to kind of like to be consistent and, and, and raise a lot of noise and a lot of awareness for this issue. But ultimately, it probably is going to go through. But what we've got to do, just because they make protesting a criminal act, doesn't mean that we stop protesting. Fuck that. Far, far from it. The total opposite. As soon as that law goes through, we've got to, all of us have got to get up and out on every fucking issue. We've got to show them that, like, you don't make the rules here. We do. The right to protest is so sacred for all of us. It's not even about left or right or whatever your opinions are on anything. All of the benefits that you've got as a citizen in this country have been won by struggle through protest, not from hand-me-downs from an altruistic elite. It doesn't happen. So I say the second that bill goes through, whatever issue, just get out there and be a real pain in the ass about it. And we got to show them that they poked the bear and now we're fucking biting them on the ass. But I mean, what kind of fucking age are we living in when a government thinks it can take away the right to protest? That's mental. But we are living in mental times. I mean, Boris Johnson is the prime minister, for fuck's sake. I mean, that, that's just... If, you t- if you'd have said that 10 years ago, people would thought you were taking the piss. And if someone had said 10 years ago that Donald Trump was going to be the president, you know, they, they, they would laugh at you. But we're living in laughable times, except it's not funny. It's fucking terrifying. But when we look back, man, people are going to be laughing at us like, what the fuck were you guys doing? Was anybody holding the steering wheel? I mean, what the fuck, man? But that was fun anyway. I'm not going to like this isn't going to be a political rant the entire time. But uh, that was fun. And uh, me and Alec had a great fucking road trip and everything, made some new friends. And I'm going to be doing a lot more stuff with those guys as well and XR. And I actually got invited on to do a, a Twitter space with David Schneider. 
you know, the guy from, uh, I think of him as the guy from Alan Partridge, you know, the guy that's always dancing in his dream <laughs> with the pants on. Um, super cool guy, man. Fucking really intelligent. Great filmmaker and actor as well. And very active in the political space. And um, he hosted a Twitter space with Kill the Bill and XR. And I got to play a song on there as well and chip my oar in a little bit. But he asked me at the start, how do you want to be um, introduced because he had the kind of the official bio of like musician, author, all that sort of shit. And I said, oh, whatever you want, man, you know, just you know, chopsy bastard, call me whatever you like. And he said, chopsy, what does that mean? And I was like, who doesn't know what that means? You know, chopsy, you know, I'm, I'm, it's just chopsy, you know, just a chopsy motherfucker. Uh, and he genuinely didn't know what it meant. So I, I tried to explain that it's like, you know, cheeky or, you know, I don't know how, how do you describe chopsy, but I didn't realize that's a Welsh saying. I thought that was a British saying. I thought everybody knew what Chopsy was. Uh, and he really didn't know. So I've asked loads of my friends in England if they know what it means. And they've never fucking heard of it. <laughs> so, I, you know, I didn't realize how much of my uh, vocabulary was actually Welsh slang. I thought it was just general UK slang. Yeah, so that, that was embarrassing because then when he introduced me, he said that I'm a cheeky chappy, which is like totally not what that means at all. Chopsy is more... Um, more aggressive than that, really. It's not a cheeky chappy. Chopsy is like, yeah, you got to you wind your fucking mouth in. You know what I mean? Uh, you're a chopsy prick. You know, fucking shut up. Which I can be, certainly on Twitter. You know, I, I can be a chopsy prick on Twitter, and I, as I am regularly. Or as the famous Piers Morgan once called me on Twitter, a narcissistic prick, which is, uh, I got to say, rich coming from that prick. Uh, he's, he's, he's the prick's prick, isn't he? Piers Morgan, Jesus Christ. But I had the audacity to challenge him on a point that he couldn't defend. So he just called me a prick instead, uh, which is fucking hilarious. On another occasion, he called me a C-list singer who he, who he wasn't going to argue with anymore, which I was quite flattered by. I thought, wow, the C-list, he clearly doesn't know anything about me. I'm not even on the fucking list, let alone the C-list. But um, yeah, the Twitter space was interesting. Uh, again, there was loads of great speakers on there. Michael Moore was listening in. I'm a big fan of Michael Moore. So that was super interesting. And it's just like... I just think it's, it's all of these things that I get to do, like I talked about in the book, Noise Damage. It, all of these things, these are the kind of, re, these are the rewards that we get as struggling musicians. You know, we don't make any money. We get shafted left, right and center by all of the sharks and the fucking ripoff merchants and the crooks and the criminals. Um, none more than myself. Like I've been shafted by actual criminals who've gone to jail for shooting people. You know, <laughs> I was signed to that guy. And, um, you know, we, we have a, a, a tough ride, man. You know what I mean? We have to sacrifice all of our free time and our money and our mental health and our physical health to, to be able to pursue our passions as musicians or writers or actors or whatever it may be. You know, and these are the rewards. These are the only rewards I think we get is, is the, the thrill of playing live in front of your community of you know, fans or friends or, or fellow musicians or fellow believers or whatever it is. There's, there's nothing like that thrill of playing on stage and that buzz and the road trip with your friends and the adventure and, you know, the new cities. It's fucking addictive. There's no high like it. But the other thing, the other reward we get is these interesting opportunities that you get when you just start saying yes to shit. You know what I mean? It's like, what else would I have been doing last weekend if I wasn't in London standing on top of a fucking chicken pallet singing my songs to a massive fucking protest about a really important issue outside Parliament, uh, you know, right after Jeremy Corbyn has just spoken. You know, it's fucking interesting. I get to do some interesting stuff because I'm a musician. And I think if anyone's listening that has, 
you know, struggling as an artist or wondering whether, you know, they got to stay in power to do it. You should, these should be the things that should encourage you to carry on. These are the small victories that we get that add to the rich tapestry of our lives that are going to give you stories to tell your grandkids or stories to just tell your friends or just memories for yourself. You know what I mean? That enrich your life, give you a broader tapestry of life. You learn a lot about yourself. You see a lot of the world. You see a lot of society. You meet a lot of interest in people. And it's, you know, what else are you going to fucking do? Uh, for those reasons, I think that us artists have probably got a richer understanding of society and the human condition than you know people in in the public space like politicians like they don't really get to see the true scope of society you know they get the the presented version you know the glossy pr orchestrated version you know we get to meet people from all over the fucking place because you know when you're playing pubs in the arse end of hull on a thursday night you're gonna meet a totally different type of person to what you would meet, you know, in your local pub, if you stayed in this, in the safe confines of your own local town, you know, you're meeting people from different social backgrounds or racial backgrounds or economic backgrounds, purely by virtue of the fact that you're doing a gig there, or you're in a band with them, or you, you know, you're, you're playing an event with them or whatever it might be. So I, I love it, man. You know, that's the thing that keeps me going, even though right now, after two years of being on a pandemic, I'm absolutely, completely fucking skint as fuck. Like I'm more broke now than I've been in many years because I haven't worked in two years. But still, what keeps me going? I mean, most of the work I do doesn't make any money. You know, I'm writing my second book right now as I'm doing that. It's not making me any money. But what keeps me going is, is the passion for doing it. The enjoyment of of getting to explore the ideas that I want to explore and and create the music that I want to create and eventually being able to share that with people, whether that makes me any money, well, it, it doesn't really. You know what I mean? It costs more money than it than it makes, but somehow I managed to get by. And along the way, I have a pretty interesting life. I don't have a boring routine. I don't have a boss. You know, so I'm not knocking any of that stuff because we're all different. And there are times when I really yearn for a bit of stability and a, and a regular paycheck and for somebody else to just make the decisions for me and stuff. I yearn for that. So I'm not knocking anyone else's lifestyle at all. But I think it's how you're wired, you know, it's in your blood. And for someone like myself and, and the people in my community who I know have it quite hard at times, it's important to focus on the rewards and the riches that we do get, which are not those of the financial or st stable kind. But I digress again. What else have I been doing? Um, I started drinking again. I, for those of you that don't know, I, I started drinking after three years of being completely teetotal. I didn't drink a drop for three years. It was more, it was about three and a half years. And um, in that time, I did a, a UK tour, the Misfits tour, and managed to not drink a drop the entire time, even in Holland. And I loved it, man. I didn't have a problem with it at all. You know, it was challenging at times because I was basically pissed every night for like 10 years and then woke up one morning with just the worst hangover ever. And I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. That is it. Game over right now. And, and I stuck to it for three years. I'm a bit like that, though. I'm a man of extremes. I'm either doing something all the way or I'm not doing it at all. So I was doing it all the way. And then I just one moment, one morning just completely stopped and stuck with it for three years. And then I can remember exactly when it was in October. I can't remember the date, but um, I just went to the shop. I bought a bottle of Disarono <laughs> and just started tucking into it. And uh, I think what it was, was it was stress for me. I struggle with stress because you know, I'm constantly working all the time. I never really get much downtime. And my stress builds up. 
And I think when I was drinking, I'd have a little, I'd have a little valve release at the end of the night. And then every like once a week, I would get really shit faced, you know, really trolleyed on the weekend. And uh, I'd feel great the next day because I was up all night, you know, watching comedies or I'd be out with the boys in Kaishira, you know, having a laugh or whatever. And I'd feel good the next day, you know. So I'd have that kind of let off for all the steam that was building up. But after three years of not drinking, oh man, I was fucking flipping my lid. I've never known depressions like I, like I had when I was not drinking. You know, in many ways, I loved it because I felt so much healthier. The days were twice as long because I was waking up early with loads more energy. I was clear minded. I was getting more done. Not a, I didn't find it a problem socially at all. You know, I drank a lot of Bex Blue, you know, which are great, by the way. You still feel like you're drinking, you know, a little something, but there's no alcohol in it. And uh, I, I didn't bother me at all. It was just the stress. And I found it quite boring when I was traveling as well, because I love to travel. I love to experience different cultures and really taste the, the, the full range of, of the culture when I go somewhere, you know, whether that's food or architecture or, or the local wine or whatever it is. I don't want to be one of those guys that's like, you know, turning my nose up at the local, the way of doing things because of my fucking bullshit, you know. So that was quite difficult, you know, when you're, when you're going abroad to try and constantly ask in a second language, can I have something without alcohol in it, which is really difficult in some countries. So that was difficult. But apart from that, it was, I, man, I quite enjoyed it. I, I look back with fond memories of my three years of sobriety, but the stress and, and some of the crashing depressions I would have uh, as a result of that were pretty brutal, man. And um, it kind of got the better of me, I think, in October. I ended up losing my shit with this old woman in the lane because my house uh, is down the end of this really long lane, uh, winding kind of lane. And um, I turned around a blind corner I was doing about 15 miles an hour, not, not going fast. And she was there with her horse. And uh, she reckoned I nearly ran her horse over, which I didn't. I was about a fucking mile away from it. And she was screaming and screaming. I apologize. I, I'm sorry. And then she kept, and then she, up, she came to the window and she's fucking banging the window and screaming. I just fucking lost it, man. I was like, fucking, I gave us both, both barrels back. And then um, I think it kind of freaked her out a little bit. And then as soon as I got back to my house, I was like, oh man, what am I doing? Like, just losing my shit on some mad old lady in the lane. This isn't me, you know what I mean? So um, I thought, yeah, I, I've got I've to have this release valve again. So I went straight to the shop, had a drink and thoroughly enjoyed it. And I've been thoroughly enjoying it ever since. But yeah, I've discovered that I'm a whiskey man. Like when I was drinking before, I was just drinking lager. I was one of those typical pub louts, you know, slugging fucking you know, pints and pints and pints of lager and not much else really. You know, I, li- I like wine. You know, I could slam a bottle of wine in a night as well to myself uh, every night pretty much. But that was about it. I was a bit of a kind of Neanderthal drinker. You know, I didn't really know the difference between the different spirits and the different, you know, brands or anything like that. So I told myself when I'm going to come back to drinking, I'm going to be a man of a higher caliber of drinking, a higher class. And instead of just slugging down pints of cheap lager, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to buy a bottle of, a small bottle of, of a different drink I've never had before. And I'm going to educate myself about the different drinks. And it's been fun. It's been a very um, alcoholic hobby to have, in all honesty. Because <laughs> I've treated it like it's a kind of educational process. So that every night I've got to buy a bottle of something new and chug my way through it, you know. And in doing that, yeah, I've discovered that I'm a whiskey guy. And I really, really like Gentleman Jack. Uh, made by Jack Daniels, but it's like a double mellowed one. And uh, my God, that shit's fucking gorgeous, man. 
like it's a little bit too nice i haven't bought another bottle since because it's so nice i was just drinking too much of it but yeah super interesting man how things change because i couldn't even smell whiskey before just the smell of it was just repulsive to me um but i haven't drunk a pint of lager since i've been back it's just been hard liquor and wine and i am enjoying it and i haven't had any stressful episodes yet but i don't know whether i'm just conflating stress and drinking in a way that's not entirely true <laughs> and i've been putting on loads of weight as well man like during the lockdown you'd think when you, when you give up drinking that you lose weight but i didn't i actually put on weight because when i was drinking i was at my fittest you know the, there's a couple of pictures of me on the internet where i you know i'm shredded i've got a six pack and i was at my my fittest and healthiest but i was at my most alcoholic at that point i was drinking every night and, and kind of not happy drinking, contrary to what I just said about having that release valve. You know, my mental health was on the floor at that time, very depressed. And I wasn't really allowing myself any treats in life because I was like a fitness obsessive. So the only treats that I would have would be, you know, getting hammered every night. And then when I cut that out, I just went back to junk food. I had to have something. It's almost like I've got a demon in me that needs an offering. <laughs> it needs, there's a demon that needs feeding. And uh, when I took the booze away, it was like I just went fucking hog wild with the pizzas and the chocolate and the ice cream. And I've got a real sweet tooth. So um, I put on loads of weight. I say loads of weight. I put on like two stone. But now I'm back to drinking. I haven't managed to lose the sweet tooth. So I'm just caning all of it now. I'm just fucking hitting all of it. So I'm drinking. And and I'm having the ice cream and the pizza and the chips and the crisps and all that shit. So I'm um, yeah, I've fallen completely off the wagon, man. <laughs> I've fallen off all of the wagons at the same time. So I'm currently at about ten, ten stone seven, and I want to get down to ten, which is I, before when I was super shredded, I was down to like nine and a half stone or something like that, just like no body fat. And I'm a small guy, so I wasn't like muscle heavy or anything. But I, I want to try and get down to ten. So I started doing yoga. I'm starting to get back on the exercise and the cardio and stuff. But uh, yoga's been amazing, man. Yeah, I really didn't get it at first. It, it seemed a little bit too easy and a little bit too slow. I didn't really feel like I was exercising much because, you know, it was like I wasn't breaking a sweat much. And, you know, it's like she was like, okay, bend over, halfway lift. I was like, well, that's fucking easy. You know, that's not hard. Um, and then I caught myself in the mirror trying to do it. And I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm really not doing that. <laughs> like I'm nowhere near straight my back's all bent i'm not even halfway bending and as soon as you try and do the poses properly like it helps if you do it in the mirror or if you have someone there to help you with it fuck that shit's hard man really hard jesus christ i didn't realize how stiff i was but it's great i love it like i've been doing it for about a month and a half now uh try and do it every day if i can and i really noticed the difference i used to have pains in my wrists you know from playing guitar and things uh that's gone i don't have that anymore uh my posture's better I can stretch better and I can see that I can do things with it now that I couldn't do like ages, like weeks ago. So uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, so I, like, if, I would recommend if you haven't tried yoga, give it a go. Give it a go. Like honestly, it's great for your mental health. It's great to stretch out all your ligaments and straighten your posture back up. And if you're a bit of a gym rat, it'll be great for straightening your hamstrings and everything out as well. I thoroughly recommend it. So that's my new kind of thing that I'm into. And I'm trying to get back into the cardio and stuff. But um, I never really enjoyed that. I find that hard to motivate myself to go out running first thing in the morning when it's pissing down with rain and it's cold or to do some HIIT training downstairs, you know, when really you can't be bothered. I've never really enjoyed exercise, but once I get back into the swing of it, I get quite obsessed. So um, 
I'm hoping that I can get back on that ASAP because you feel like shit when you're out of shape. It's not a vanity thing. It's an energy thing. It's a sluggish thing. And it's about the food you eat as well. You know, like when you eat cleaner, healthier food, you feel better. You feel lighter. You haven't got that kind of carb slump and that kind of bloated milk thing going on. You know, so uh, yeah, I want to try and clean myself up a bit if I can. Better for your health, better for your mind. But I suppose we should probably talk about the elephant in the living room as well. I'm not going to talk about this too much because I've got some incredible guests who I've spoken to who are going to be coming on the podcast in the next couple of episodes who could talk about this way better than I can and who actually know way more about it because they're actually involved. Seriously, man, I've got some cool chats coming up. Uh, It's not all going to be me talking bollocks like this, but um, we need to acknowledge the situation that we find ourselves in. As we have war in Europe, I don't like referring to it as a war in Ukraine because Ukraine isn't at war. They got invaded by Russia. And the propaganda machine on all sides has just run into overdrive this past couple of weeks, hasn't it? I mean, on all fronts. I mean, the propaganda in in the UK and in, in the West and in Europe is absolutely fucking insane. War propaganda is just a different level altogether from general propaganda that we see in in civil life. I mean, this has gone back easily to like World War II level propaganda in the space of a few weeks. And of course, all of our sympathies are with the poor people of Ukraine. But also, we need to remember that people in Russia didn't want this either. They hadn't, the people of the regular people of Russia had nothing to do with this. And there have been loads of protests happening in Russia that we're not seeing in the press where people are going to jail and you don't want to go to jail in Russia. They're getting treated like shit. It's affecting their employment and their security and their family life. So this anti-Russian backlash is fucking disgraceful, man. And that's also the way it's being framed in the media is this kind of goodies and baddies issue. And it's way more complicated than that. I mean, NATO has been goading Russia for decades. You know, they've got the whole country is surrounded by U.S. bases and NATO has been inching closer and closer to the Russian border for so long. Now, I'm not saying that I have any sympathy at all with the Russian government and Putin because I don't. But basically what's happening is this is a clash between two major powers, both of whom are as guilty as the other. We don't know about the build-up and the, and the talks that have been happening between Russia and NATO over the past few years and how, they, how they've been basically shot down and vetoed at every turn and corner, which has led to this, to this invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine, unfortunately, is just a kind of chess piece that's been involved in the middle of a tug of war between two major powers, which are, which are both trying to claim ownership of it for their own dubious ends. There's no outcome which is great for the Ukrainian people here, whether they side with America or Russia. They're just unfortunately victims of geography and a cause up in the middle of a power struggle. So my heart goes out to the people of Ukraine, and I just really hope that this ends soon and with as few casualties and as little damage as possible. It's not looking likely, but I, like I said, I'm going to have a few guests coming on who've been personally involved in this, and there's some really, really interesting chats which can shed a lot of light on this. So I hope you guys are not going to be put off by um, my rambling first episode here, and are definitely going to tune back in on the next one, which is absolutely fucking mind-blowing. You need to listen to it. And what else have I been doing? I've been super busy at the label, man. Conic Records. Um, me and Adam have been signing loads of fucking awesome artists lately, man. Jesus Christ, there's some good music out there. There's so many talented artists out there. It's fucking unbelievable. It's, it's heartbreaking as well, man. Like, you know, to, to see 
such amazing bands and amazing artists and they're just not getting recognized. I mean, you know, we can only do so much to help them because, you know, I'm, I'm an independent artist myself, but we've got an awesome infrastructure now with uh, our publishing and sync side. So we're trying to funnel as many great artists into that as we can. And, and just pitch them for as, as much as we can to help them. But there's so many good bands, man. We signed a band recently called East Love from New York. They're awesome. Check them out. Natalie Holmes, absolutely incredible, incredible artist. She's got loads of music and she's really talented. Go and check her out. Lena Button, awesome fucking electro pop songs. Great melody. Reminds me a lot of Sia, who's one of my favorite singers. And this incredible band from Scandinavia called Bullock Hearts are Check those guys out. Super fun, great songwriting, very theatrical, very queen. And it's just an honor to be able to, to, to work with these guys, to have them on side and then to have their, their faith in us and uh, to just be able to kind of like give their music the best push we can. And hopefully to just try and be the good guys, you know, to try and be the partners or the, or this, the team that I never had when I was in Kashira, when all we did was got fucked over by everybody left, right and center, you know. So that's been fun. And also, I'm, I'm working on my second book. So uh, I'm a few chapters deep. I'm supposed to have done it ages ago, but I haven't because other things just keep coming up. But actually, as of today, I got back on the saddle and tried to loosen that tap again and, and get, get the writing muscle flexed um, to, try and, to try and finish this book. I'm, I am actually really excited to write the book. There's loads of things in there that I want to say and I want to cover that require quite a lot of research. It's not going to be the same as noise damage. It's going to be similarly themed and it's written in a very similar way because that's all I can do. But it's different and I'm excited to do it. But uh, it's going to take more time. I mean, I wrote all of noise damage in two months. <laughs> I mean, that's mental to write an entire book in two months. But I did because it just kind of when it was ready, it just came out, you know, without any real ambition to write a book it just happened you know it obviously just needed to come out this one is a bit more um broader in its scope it's not just about me and my experience of things it's it's me exploring different subjects connected to music um with some autobiographical stuff in there but it's it's broader in its range and I really want to get deep into some of the subjects. So it's a different beast and it's taking a little bit longer than two months, I can tell you. It's the difficult second book, you know. But uh, that, that will be happening this year. That will be coming out this year. By hook or by crook, the thing is coming out. And I've already got an idea for my third book, which I've actually wanted to write for a long, long time. Even before Noise Damage, it was always my ambition to write the book that I'm hoping will be my third book. I've been researching it for years. I've read probably about, I don't know, fucking 50 books researching this book. I can't tell you anything about it, but it's a book that before I die, I have to write. And I'm getting older now, so, <laughs> and I'm back on the booze. So who knows how long I've got. So that's going to take up a big chunk of my time, but I'm super excited to get that out. And then hopefully I can get out and do some dates with the underdogs before the year is out. Those of you that are a member of the Secret Society will know that I cancelled all of our touring activity uh, that we had booked in between January and March for personal reasons. Those of you, like I said, who, who are in the, uh, the Secret fan group will know what those reasons are. But the boys in the band have been absolutely incredible about it. We had some awesome shows lined up in Germany. We had some festivals in Germany as well, televised things, dates in Paris and London. And after two years of being on lockdown and not being able to perform at all, the idea of being able to get in the van again and trek off, you know, 
on a road trip adventure with your comrades and go and kick some fucking asses was just, ah, oh, man, I was so excited. We all were. You know, it's been such a long time now without touring. So to have to cancel all that, you know, was was a shame, but it you know, doesn't even compare to uh, the reasons why it was pulled and everybody was completely understanding of it. And it will happen again at some point. You know, until further notice, touring is going to be off for the band. But hopefully we'll get some dates in, you know, towards the end of the year or something. Could be quite nice, even if they're just like, you know, one-off kind of local shows or something. Because the band, man, we haven't played yet. Like, the, the underdogs were set up during the lockdown and it was we were trying to kind of get everything ready so that as soon as things open back up we'd be ready to come fucking racing out of the gates and fucking you know tear off some heads and that's pretty much what we did got an awesome band together with three incredible musicians and really nice guys and we rehearsed and we got a great set together and uh you know the band sounds fucking awesome but it was so difficult to get shows and to be honest i think lying low for a little bit probably isn't a bad thing i mean there's so many tours getting cancelled still and i know people that are touring are having such a fucking pain in the ass with you know the quarantines and you know people having to like lose a, losing a crew member after through the tour and stuff like that and the expense and having to pull dates and i just think you know what? Fuck it, man. Let's just wait until we know what's happening and just do this properly. You know what I mean? But I am really, really missing it. And just the rehearsals, you know, like getting getting back in a room with a drum kit again. It's like, oh, yeah, give it to me, baby. And the album is kind of like laying low as well because the album came out during the pandemic and I haven't released anything since because I feel like that's a great fucking album. And because of the lockdown, you know, it didn't really get its moment to shine. And I think it kind of got overshadowed by the book as well, which came out three weeks after. And the book obviously did really well and took my kind of focus because I was doing a lot of interviews and press and stuff for the book. And the album didn't really get any support from the very expensive PR company that was supposed to be pushing it. <laughs> Sound familiar? So mistakes were made on that album's release and it was done during a pandemic. It was very difficult to promote a record that you couldn't get in the stores, even though we did get it into HMV, which is amazing. You know, HMV did stock it, but then the stores were closed for most of the year. So it was fucking pointless. So it was a very difficult campaign. And I don't really see the point in just throwing out another album now and letting that one that I worked very hard on and that I'm very proud of just kind of be forgotten about and buried in the dust, you know, on the pile with the rest. You know, I don't see the point in that. So I'm happy to just kind of like focus on other things like the podcasting, perhaps, you know, and the book for, for definite, you know, and, and whatever else. And I want to get Make Anchor Great Again out there properly when the time is right. You know, I thought the time was right during, during the pandemic. I didn't know when I wrote it that a pandemic was a few months around the corner. You know, I wrote an album about taking to the streets and rising up against the bullshit. And then that's exactly what happened for the rest of that year, you know, with the, the Black Lives Matter protests and the anti-lockdown protests and, you know, ripping down the statues and stuff. You, know, you would have thought that my album, an album called Make Anger Great Again, would have been a perfect soundtrack for that moment. But it just, like, radio wouldn't play it. You know, YouTube even took the, the lead single for the power down because they said it was shocking, even even though it's not. It's just a fucking protest rock song. Uh, Facebook wouldn't let me run any adverts on the album because they said it was politically motivated. So I was kind of in a position where I had this album and I just, like, I just couldn't get it out there anyway. You know, the stores were closed. Radio wouldn't fucking touch it because it was political, you know. But on, but on the streets, it was the perfect album for the time. But that's just how it goes, you know what I mean? That's that's the difference between the way the industry works and what's actually happening on the streets, you know what I mean? So the industry is always about, about fucking five years behind the rest of us. 
So the album kind of got caught up in that, in, in the in the mess of that, really. So I'm 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 keen to get that album back out properly, maybe with some like you know B sides or some new tracks or something. But in terms of new material, I'm not going to be racing into that. I mean, I've got seven albums now. Yeah, I, I, I don't need to prove myself on that front. And I'd rather I'd rather see this album get a better push, you know. And also, I'm still paying for the fucking things. <laughs> So until I've cleared the debt from that one, there's no fucking way I'm paying for another one. Unless there's any rich benefactors out there that want to help a poor, struggling Welsh independent musician out, then, um, you know, then please do. But, you know, watch this space, man. The band is awesome. The band will be out there. We're all raring to go and we can't wait to see everybody. But with regards to, like, the Secret Society, if you're not a member of that, join it because that's the newsletter and the private Facebook group where we kind of build our community. That's the whole idea behind it anyway. It's still kind of in its infancy at the moment, but I wanted to build a kind of private space that wasn't dependent on the social media platforms where we can actually have our own conversation and, you know, build our own community where we look out for each other and share good music, you know, share news on what I'm up to and also to fight the good fight and share information on causes. And to just run our own fucking community, you know, that isn't dependent upon the algorithm of fucking Mark Zuckerberg. So that seems like a good point to jump off on this one. I, I hope you've made it this far and I'm sorry for ranting and digressing and meandering all over the place. That's probably what I'm going to do if I'm left to my own devices. So let's hope we can get some guests on real quick. <laughs> but thanks so much for tuning in and checking out my first podcast. I really do appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Um, thank you so much for all of your support in general. I literally couldn't do what I do without you. Some of you guys have been with me for a long time, through thick and thin, through ups and downs and highs and lows and some really intense periods of my life. And you'll never know how much it means to me that you're still here now. You know exactly who you are. And if you're listening to this for the first time and don't know who the fuck I am or what the fuck I'm talking about, thank you for getting this far. Uh, please do subscribe. Join the Secret Society. Find us on Facebook or find us on my website at jameskennedystuff.com slash tribe. Come and join the tribe. Join the community of fucking global misfits and, and nutcases. And um, hopefully I shall see you next week for podcast number two and who knows what the fuck that will be about but in the meantime dm me or comment me if there's anybody you think it would be interesting for me to talk to or if there's anything you want me to talk about or if there's any issues you want me to highlight or explore let me know i will be doing another one so um, put it in the comments in the meantime please do subscribe and share and support in any way you can and if this thing starts gathering a bit of momentum then you know we'll keep it going in the meantime i love you guys to death have an awesome week Thanks so much for listening. Take care of yourself, take care of others, and keep rocking. Love you guys.